world. Oh, we're in Estevar to dig. Ah, Sean, I've been practicing this in secondary school. <laughs> oh, my bad, my it. bad. I got so excited. I got so excited. Go ahead, go ahead. I was hoping my career as an advert voiceover was coming to life. But to the point, we are going to Barcelona for Paddy's Day. They have changed the date of the marathon. So we now have the extra days leave. We have no excuses. PBs are there to be had from the 14th to the 17th of March, 2025. Myself and Sean are filling a bus. 56 people will be leaving Dublin Airport and heading to Barcelona. I am making a T-shirt for the trip. It's going to be Eric approved. I cannot guarantee the medals. That's where I draw the line. Prices are still the same, but we do need to book by June 7th. So if anyone is thinking about coming, has signed up and pre-registered, you need to book this week. And if you're listening this week, you have to put your money where your mouth is on this one because we cannot guarantee the prices after this weekend. Erlingus, if you're listening, fuck off. Don't change anything, but that is what we are doing. So the link to everything is in the bio. You'll be brought straight to the WeTransfer. If you're traveling with a supporter, if you're traveling on your own and willing to share, or if you just want your own room, we have every option available and it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Like Eric said, the link to that is in our Instagram bio at any given Runday podcast. With that said, it's this week's episode of the Any Given Runday podcast. Let's go. Hey guys, Sean here. Welcome to another episode of the Any Given Runday podcast. And we've got another special guest lined up for this week's edition of the podcast. This week, Connor Nolan is interviewing his good friend, Andrew Moore, also known as hashtag fitness goose on Instagram. And Eric, it's a good thing you're not involved in this one. And you're purposely not involved in this one. One, because Connor knows Andrew. And as well as that, in this episode, Andrew talks about going to Greenland and doing his very first marathon. The, the experience of doing his very first marathon is pretty tough, but doing it in Greenland and all the conditions that go with it, he goes into detail talking about that. And I just thought, Eric, if you had heard that story, you probably would have signed up to try and do that with him the next time because you have a lot of different challenges on your plate with all our different guests <laughs> yeah. so far. Yeah, Sean, I, I need to stop talking to people, really. To be honest, I get invited. Man, your your plate is full. Like <laughs> I hate running in the cold. I hate training in the cold, and I probably would do it just to spite myself. But no, no, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Connor is taking the lead on this one. Um, it's always nice as well when you know someone you've, you've worked with someone before to get that conversation within. It's it's it tends to flow that bit nicer. So, and uh, it's nice for us to have a little week off. Um, yeah, I've been. We, we and you ended up going for a shop in the run hub. We hadn't got much recordings to do. We weren't chasing my three friends for an episode. And yeah, we, we, we went to our first shop, Sean, since COVID. That was, that was actually, apart from grocery shopping, that was my very first shop. And of course, we parked in the Super Value uh, car park and we go around the corner. And uh, we just see two people just standing there outside. I was like, oh, all right. And I go to walk in. I walk in the run hub and I wipe my feet. And I'm like, where did go? And look, I was like, Eric, what are you doing? And he's like, Sean. Q. I'm like, oh, I look around. I just see the signs then the doors, like, you know, uh, you know, only maximum two people in the shop because it's not that big of a shop. But I'm like, I'm an idiot. So I just walk outside of two lads. Like, oh, I just, just wipe my feet as you do in the shop before walking back out again. I'm like, oh, get me away from here. But I had to stick around and get a new pair of runners. We were so lucky as well that you knew exactly which ones you were looking for um, because you had to book an appointment. You had to do it. I was just like, oh my God. And sure, we'd planned the whole week that we were going to go to it. But in fairness to the run hub, they were taking so many precautions. I felt really awkward 
because you had kind of walked in and then been sent away and then you just kind of got your runners. But <laughs> I, they were like, do you want to come in and grab something? But I knew I needed a, another assessment. So I was like, no, I'll book in. So I, I booked in for Saturday there. But it's, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. People have probably seen me post up um, a couple of things uh, on the gate analysis that I did in there. It's, it's very good, very informative. And um, mm. yeah, you stuck with the same brand of runners. You, you know them and trust them. Um, I'm actually after picking a, a whole different brand and, and it, everyone like it's bizarre like when you go in there it's like you don't pick the brand the brand picks you because yeah. when you do the gate analysis like you I had six different pairs of runners lined up with a kind of a neutral arch to kind of fix the, the turn that was happening in my ankle and stuff and it was just whichever one of those that fixed me the best I didn't even know what they were I was like them ones I can see it on the camera because you run up and down in the new runners and like, well, they're clearly the best for me. And then it's like, um, I turned out to be the cheapest ones as well. I was like, that is brilliant. So, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is a good experience. And I never like, oh, all the times growing up, just went and got the Adidas or the Nikes. or And I suppose that kind of came from the football boot kind of soccer kind of um, attitude where I just went in and I was like, I know them boots. I've wore them Copa Mundials there for I don't know how long. I'm just going to get them every time, like not knowing any support or any different. You never really judge. So when it came to runners, I had the same attitude. I just went with, they look nice and sure I'll wear them, not knowing that. Especially like it's okay when you're doing the 5 and 10Ks. When you go up into the marathon level and we were running 60, 70K a week, that's when you really start to notice a difference in the shoe. Um, and probably... Part of the reason why I usually, when I when I start to get niggles, I usually the first thing I need to change is my shoes. So, um, yeah, it was it was interesting just to see even running in my current runners. I did it on camera just to see how bad I had gotten, and it's uh, yeah, there was no support there for for my knees, Huge. ankles, nothing. Yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing to watch. So and I've been absolutely pounding the pavements <laughs> with them. Uh, you're after throwing me back to thinking when I was younger, getting the remember the total ninety boots and stuff like that. I'm yeah, after thinking just getting them because everyone had them. Yeah, the big ninety and the big silver stuff. I was like, they they were daily, <laughs> probably useless for me. But yeah, like I got that, and then I went through the, the progression of um getting Asics just because everyone got Asics for running, and I was like, oh, that has to be it then. And then I went back to Jordans because I love my Jordan brand and mess myself in the market. Now, I've talked about that before, but speaking of you pounding the pavement, um, you're not pounding the pavement so much lately. You, you've got an issue with your knee, runner's knee, what's going on? Yeah, I kind of noticed it about three weeks ago, but I'm really stubborn, so I just kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of noticed a twinge, and what actually brought it on was a cycle I went on to Holt on Monday, just gone. Um, I went on a, an easy cycle, it wasn't a hard cycle, but I'd done a good distance run the day before, 19 or 20k, and uh, I was on a cycle out to Hoth and we were just coming up the hill and I just felt the twinge getting worse and worse on every downstroke of the pedal into the side of the knee and the tendons and I knew straight away what it was it's happened to me before and um, yeah it's just it's been from all and probably and then when I went on a run I actually uh, you think I would have stopped there the next day I was like no I'll go for a run see how it is but I actually would have got away with it on a slow run because it was only when the knee was actually bending that little bit more and then putting the power in that I was feeling it whereas on a slow run you're not really used to blend your stride so I probably wouldn't have felt it until I did a sprint session on Thursday and would have really done done myself a bit of damage but yeah um, it's really frustrating because like the minute it happens, like I massaged it out that night, and um, like we obviously hit the trigger points of the muscle. Like it, like the muscle on the right hand side of the quad going down is like a rock, 
and we hit a few trigger points, but my knee the next day was in pure agony. I like, I don't know if anyone ever has done a squat day and then tried to sit down or stand up or even simple things, going to the toilet, going out of the toilet, <laughs> up the stairs, down the stairs. But that pain in the knee was quite extreme. Even sitting into the car and bending your knees to, to get into the car, that was sore. Like, and that was just from hitting the trigger points. So that kind of just set up of how bad it actually was. I just didn't really notice it. So uh, decided then to take a few days off the running and I've been foam rolling and stretching and um, using Danny's yoga um because there's a couple of great hamstring stretch stairs and quad stretches because I really need to loosen it out and then through the gait analysis as well through watching how I have been running I can see how the problem started yeah. so my hips my hips are up and down like a seesaw on each step now because the lack of support from the feet up um, and then also because I've been doing that for so long I, I've put about eight or nine hundred kilometers into my on runners like so I've, they say 700 to a thousand but for me to be honest, I probably should change them more often because I do need that extra little bit of support. But yeah, just watching how my hips would rise and fall, that because that's been happening for a long time means my glutes weren't activated right and the core wasn't strong enough. And then the post, the I'm going to say posterior side, which is the outside of the leg, um, the, the quad muscle on that side is working so much to try and keep stability in the knee the inside of my leg wasn't working hard enough to try and balance the whole thing. And that's how the tendon on the outside started to get more um, tense. And the tendon actually started to take the workload on in, in the, the bending and driving and the force of my running. So that's why it got sore and it got aggravated. So I have a good bit of work to do. Um, and as well, even now I could have been, I'm no expert. I am not a physiotherapist, and but I've had this a couple of times and I may have used the wrong phrases. Uh, but pretty much outside of my leg is where the pain is. Um, but the and even even when watching the gait analysis, I was able to see as my foot is trending forward, my calf, my foot is kind of turning out to the right, and then coming back in as a, just before I strike. And that's because my calves are really tight as well. Even though they don't feel like they are, they are not flexible enough, mm. and they're causing that turn in the foot. So I'm not getting the more fluid uh, kind of forward motion and total and strike onto the floor which putting extra pressure on the ankle extra pressure on the knee causing the hips to turn a bit more so the whole lot is connected and it's exactly gradual. yeah it's it's absolutely gradual um so i i i've been after getting six months of let's it was hard training i haven't really taken a break in six months and i've been using the same rules um so yeah it's kind of just caught up with me now but so over the next little while on Instagram, uh, people are going to see how I change my runners and all the different things I'm going to do through the week to get myself back as quickly as possible uh, so we can get back at the training. So that's pretty much where I am at the minute. Daily, look forward to that. Uh, one more thing before we send you straight to today's interview. Um, with the yoga with Danny you touched on there, this past week she was talking about particular hamstring stretches and not only not only hamstring stretches that you do in a yoga session, she, she was making it more practical to what you do, like even on the side of the road, uh, in terms of getting right at the belly of the hamstring with a particular stretch she was doing, is she's showing you stretches that you might not have seen before, but will hit exactly where you want. And this one's the belly of the hamstring. Just to really quickly explain it, are those kind of hard to explain stretches on podcasts. If you are, had a, a path or a curb just to your left, and you put your left foot on the curb and your right foot still on the road, your knee's slightly bent. If you push your hips back as if you're trying to close a door, you will feel a stretch on that foot on the curb. You'll feel it right in the belly of the hamstring. And then as you hinge right back on that and you're like leaning forward so your back's like parallel to the road almost, try and imagine pulling up your left hip 
And trust me, you will feel that hamstring straight away, that baby hamstring just stretching out. So she's doing that each and every week. And that's in our own club there. Another two weeks with Danny, half eight. It's a half-hour session, and she dedicates those last five minutes to more practical advice to what you could do out in the road so you're not lying around in, in grass like that. Because, you know, like a lot of races, stuff like that, it's going to be lashing rain. You can't get the perfect stretches, and you don't have all your bands and stuff lying in the ground. So more a lot of practical advice she's doing. With that said, speaking of practical advices, a, a completely unpractical thing might be to do your first marathon in a completely different country, let alone a country like <laughs> Greenland. But it's a hell of experience, a hell of a story. So we have the fitness goose talking to Carl Nolan today about that, that journey he did. And he also talks about um, nutrition as well before races, what he would recommend having. So without further ado, unless Eric, you have anything else to add to the podcast? No, I'm really looking forward to hearing this. This is, it's a nice one to sit back and, and just listen. And I really, we have listened. It's actually a really good episode. So hopefully you at home will listen in and be inspired by what happens in this. Uh, without further ado, this is Conor Nolan's interview with the Fitness Goose. Hey guys, Connor here and welcome to another episode of the Any Given Run Day podcast. This week I'm delighted to be joined by PT and running coach Andrew Moore, aka Fitness Goose. Andrew, how are things? Yeah, how's it going? How's it going? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to, to chat to some people, even though it's virtually, but it's, uh, it's good to be talking to people during, uh, well I suppose we're post-lockdown now, but it's, um, yeah, it's just nice to see some people who want to talk about running, so I'm uh, delighted to be here. Absolutely brilliant. Well listen, obviously thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Um, before we jump in, I think we're all dying to know, where did the name Fitness Goose come from? Oh, yeah. Um, Fitness Goose, yeah. Well, it's not that. It's unfortunately not a terribly exciting story. Uh, I think I was uh, 10 or... Um, sorry, well, the, the Fitness Goose obviously is the name of the, the brand of my personal training. But the nickname Goose um, preceded that. And uh, I think I was 10 or 11 and I was in school one day. And uh, there's a guy called Stuart in my class. And I remember he was a very talkative guy. And um, I think one day we were discussing I didn't have a nickname. And uh, on the same day, it was a day that obviously we were looking at poetry or birds or something on, on school. And I had said, um, I don't have a nickname. He says, I'll call you Goose. I said, it'll never stick. <laughs> and essentially, that's, uh, that's what happened. So that was it, you know. He started calling me Goose. I said, it won't stick. And, and here I am, so... I think that's the way with all, all good nicknames are. Right. I, I thought it might be a Top Gun reference. Um, one, one of the guys is a particular fan of uh, of Top Gun, so I was thinking he'd be very jealous if I got to play Maverick for uh, you know chat, chatting to Goose. Um, but uh, but look, there you go. Yeah, um, no, I, I keep thinking I should maybe re, re, rename it to uh, more of a Top Gun or make the story a little bit better. But um, unfortunately, there's some guy out there who can uh, contradict that story, and so I have to have to be true to my um, to my poetry uh, birth name. Fair enough. We respect that anyway. Um, so listen, I suppose, as, as you mentioned, you're a PT with FlyFit. Um, but, I mean, in terms of long-distance running, what got you interested in that? Uh, well, I've always been, well, not always. I only started running when I was 17 or 18. Um, I remember doing the um, local uh, community games in uh, County Led. I remember entering it one year, and it didn't go very well when I was 16. And then I turned back up when I was 17 years old. And I, I entered every event. I entered nine events. And I won in Loud. I won the gold medal in every event in that community games, from the 100, 200, 400 hurdles, 3,000 meters, even the high jump and the long jump. Now, I think the high jump, the long jump that day didn't have actually that many people entering it, but still I ended up getting uh, nine, nine gold medals. And then from that there, 
I just kept running, went up to a bit more of a higher level and uh, soon realized that um, I wasn't going to be uh, a superstar athlete and uh, that there are pe many people out there much faster than me. And now all I'm doing now is that, um, I suppose, that fast race to the middle of, um, of uh, running uh, performers. And uh, yeah, still happy doing it. Brilliant, brilliant. But listen, I suppose it's not really fair to say that you're, you're, you're in the middle because I suppose one of the reasons I was quite keen to have you on the podcast was that, you know, for your first marathon, you had quite a unique experience. Um, and for those that don't know, Andrew decided that his first marathon um, and taking on wasn't a big enough challenge. Uh, and he wanted to make it a little bit tougher on himself and decided to take on the Polar Circle Marathon. So how did that come about and what was that like? Um, well, yeah, I hadn't covered the marathon distance, but I'd done plenty of races up at that point in 5 and 10K. And I've obviously done long runs and I was trying to plan to do the double marathon in different marathons. Uh, and then one day, as you do, I think everyone does this at some stage, you sit at home and you decide, you know what, I'm going to look for some adventurous marathon in the Himalayas or the Sahara or the Arctic. And I was thinking, no, no, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I thought, well, I want to do something for charity and I could try to run the double marathon. But because I kind of have enough of a running background, I thought that's not going to be um, extreme enough. So went online, looked up 10 most difficult marathons in the world, came across this article, they let me somewhere, they let me somewhere. And I discovered the Polar Circle Marathon in the Arctic Circle. I thought, sure, look, it's, that looks like a good marathon to start off with. So at least if I get the training right and if I can get the gear right, hopefully I'll survive. Um, yeah, and then I signed up and then, um, yeah, it went from there. Brilliant, brilliant. So, I mean, in terms of training, I mean, you know, kind of how was that? If I remember rightly, I mean, you kind of picked a good time to do it because we had the, the beast from the east back in early 2018. So yeah. in terms of kind of getting Arctic conditions, you know, close to home, you couldn't have planned any better for that. Yeah, well, that, that was it. You know, there was, a, there was a talk that maybe I'll try to travel over to a ski resort, maybe try a bit of uh, practice running in uh, snowy areas. I do also remember I was trying to contact uh, some of the, um, I was contacting places like Kerrigan's Meats in Ireland and what else? And um, Dublin Meat, I think. I was asking them if I could put a treadmill in one of their freezers to see if I could train inside. And it, was just, it was just about to happen. And so one of the tournaments says, no, actually, they can't get the, um, they can't get the insurance for that. So, that was my, my strategy. But then obviously, then I think about a few weeks later, uh, the Beast in the East happened. And I'm beside Phoenix Park, just over my viewpoint here. And I decided that, um, yeah, there's five days here of um, very uh, difficult weather. And um, well, if I'm going to go to the Arctic and handle the weather, I should be able to leave my house, get into the park and run around in the gales. And um, yeah, I did. And yeah, at least that, um, that environment was there. So that... Um, that definitely helped the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the training journey. Brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, what was the overall, I suppose, the kind of the, you know, the kind of the journey getting over there and, and I suppose kind of signing up and getting ready to go. Like, cause I suppose when we think about preparing for a race, you think of, okay, well, you make sure you get a good meal the night before, you know, breakfast and hydration on point, And then you go to the, the start line. But obviously for you, you're flying, you know, not just over to, to London or, or mainland Europe, you're going to Greenland where obviously conditions are going to be, you know, minus 30 degrees Celsius and, um, you know, running not just a marathon distance, but also, you know, in, you know, gear and, and, and everything else in between. So, I mean, what was, what was all that like? And um, yeah, so I remember that firstly, once I signed up, I looked at the conditions and I had contacted a guy online from Ireland who I think won the race two years beforehand, a guy called Neil Weir. And he had a blog and it said there was all these different types of gear and different types of thermal gear and spikes for your, spikes for your runners and clip-on things and snow visors and stuff. And I first looked at it and went, okay, I can just copy this. 
But then in the end, there's different levels of all this technicality of the gear. I didn't really know anything about that. So I went into the Great Outdoors in Dublin. That's um, based beside me, Fife at George Street. Went in and talked to the, one of the guys. He says, guys, look, I'm this Irish guy. I'm going off to do this crazy marathon. And I don't want to die. I don't want to get frostbite. Uh, can you help me out? And lucky enough, when I talked to them, they also had offered and says, okay, well, we'll sponsor you a discount gear and we'll help you get set up with the, um, with the equipment. So they got me kitted out in gear for um, cross cross running shoes, Solomon shoes, spikies for my feet, um, a jacket, which I have actually behind me here, which is one of these um, super windproof jackets from the great outdoors and about another, about, about another like 50 layers all around my body. So once I had that, then I knew I was going to be able to survive when I got out there. And to get out there was a journey in itself that everyone who was taking part in this race had to fly directly to Copenhagen in Denmark. And then we all got on the same flight, an Air Greenland flight from, um, from Copenhagen to north or to westerly part of Greenland called a place called Kangerlussak. But it was crazy because we actually, our race collection was actually in Copenhagen airport. So you go to the airport, you're collecting your race number there, you're meeting all these that are mad people, you're also collecting their race numbers, and then you're all getting on to the same flight, all kind of looking at each other, the same way you kind of do the start of race, thinking like, oh, is that guy faster than me, or, yeah. or you shouldn't be here, or maybe you're a cameraman, or maybe you're a friend of someone else. And um, yeah, so we got on the flight, it was a four, four or five hour, no, it was a six or seven hour flight, flying over to Greenland, and then we arrive in at... Um, in Greenland, I think at about seven o'clock Greenland time. Now, what was supposed to happen was we were supposed to get off, take our luggage, go to our um, our cabin, leave it there, uh, then go for food, and then later on that day we were going to go for our recce of the route. However, things changed. Weather reports are a major issue in Greenland that when they say they get freezing weather, it can come in within an hour. So. We got off the plane, our bags got delivered down to the, um, the, the, the collection area, and then all of a sudden someone walks up and says, hello everybody, can you please put your warm gear on right now? You're immediately going to the polar ice cap, the glacier, before we get to our room. So everyone's there taking off all their clothes from the plane, uh, we're putting on our, um, our, uh, our winter gear, but again, we haven't been excited. We don't know how cold it is. So we're all just layering up into like, you know, um, everything we thought we were going to race in. And then we ended up getting transported up to the, um, the ice cap about 40 kilometers away to experience the, um, the, the, the icy surface. And it was a proper icy surface. And it was, um, it was uh, yeah, properly cold. Well, I can only imagine. Like, I mean, you know, I think you know, when people people think about doing their marathons thinking of it in you know something something comfortable you know and obviously Dublin in October is you know is usually a kind of a balmy 10 or 11 degrees so I suppose kind of going to that kind of a you know environment must have been a real kind of a shock to the system um, and then the race itself I mean you know again I suppose you would have been probably obviously you'd prepared for the race but would have been used to running in you know shorts and, and a pair of runners so you know I suppose how did that um how did that kind of impact you, I suppose, being, you know, running in, obviously, many layers and then as well the, the, the clip-on uh, spikes? Uh, looking back, so I was able to take the clip-on spikes off after the first 10 kilometers because the icy part of the course kind of receded into behind us in the course. So we were able to go on to kind of what would be like um, like a fire road, similar to kind of road you get maybe up in like, uh, like Siglendalock. 
And wearing all the gear, at first it was, it, was, it was fine because what actually happened and what went wrong was, the second, sorry, the second thing went wrong, and we were supposed to do the marathon the day after, get a day break, and then do a half marathon. So that was the plan. Again, weather conditions changed. They decided we couldn't do it one day because the weather was going to go into a positive and the back into a negative quickly. When that happens in Greenland, you get wet weather, but then when you, when you have more water and then the negative temperature comes in, that water turns to ice much faster than it was regular snow. Now, I'm not a weather person, so I'm not sure if I explained that correctly, but when it gets wet and then freezes very quickly or more wetness that should be there, it gets really, it gets really um, hazardous. So, supposed to be a marathon, a break, then a half marathon. They told us that's wrong. What's going to happen now is you're now going to do a half marathon tomorrow, and then you're going to do the marathon the day after. So the day I had to do my first ever marathon, I had to run a half marathon race in those conditions and then do my full marathon the day after. And that made things a little more difficult because so, you're yeah. not really planning to do a 21-kilometer long run, which I still managed to do in two hours, and then do your first marathon only 24 hours after. And that was, the, um, that was a challenge. So when they presented us with that problem, it was almost like, ah, the cold is an issue now, and, and wearing 14 layers of cold is an uh, wearing 14 layers of cold is an issue. All you gotta do is make sure that I don't come to Greenland and fail to finish the race that I've been preparing for for six months. Yeah, and I look and you know I suppose you, you touched on something there because obviously you know again what we didn't mention is that you you ended up running a half marathon the day before or. or or two days before your your first ever marathon distance, which in and of itself is, you know, it's it, it's it's a big ask for the then you to do that in those conditions. And I think you also ran the full marathon then in, in under four and a half hours too, was it? Yeah, I think the full marathon was four and a half. But oh my god, it was like it, it should have been. It definitely should have been a faster marathon. I remember looking at times and as researching people, and I thought I could go out there and run that course under about three and a half hours. But um, after the first day, uh, there was issues with toenails. And um, the way the course goes, if you ever look at this route map, at a certain stage, there's a lot of kind of like downhill in the course. But when these, the way this road is, it's a, it's a very difficult road to run on, and your quads get really smashed up from, um, from day, day descent running. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I didn't realize and didn't prepare for was, was actually enough hill training. Because even though you'll, you'll understand that people will tell you that um, running downhill is more, um, it's more, it's more, um, it hurts, hurts the brakes in the muscle much more than going uphill. So uh, that was one thing that I should have had a practice um, before the event, which would have, um, which would have improved things. But look, we always learn something from every race. And in the end, I got done in four and a half hours. And, um, but the funny thing about that four and a half hour race was, when I was about a kilometer from the finish, I started getting cr a cramp on my groin, and there was someone racing, coming very close behind me. And um, I started to doubt in my head how long a marathon is. So I was there saying, like, is it 42.2? Is it 42.4? Is it 42.6? No, that's 26.2 miles. I couldn't remember. And all I thought was, I'm not going to go to Greenland here and get an incorrect time on Strava which is an absolutely stupid thing to do. So we ended up going through the finish line, getting a medal, and then running on to, I think, about 42.6 kilometers, which is too much further than the marathon distance. And I think the person behind me who, who I was racing with thought, that guy is an absolute 
arsehole. He didn't, wear, he didn't run away from me. He's gone running off for his food or he has to go to the toilet. But yeah, I was just so tired and confused that I just kept running on and went, 42.6, that sounds right. <laughs> close enough, close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, that's fantastic. Like, and, um, and I suppose even in that kind of a race as well, it's not just about the conditions, but also I imagine there's a, a fair element of uh, potential risk to life between visibility issues or even just going off course and, and, and landing in, uh, in a ravine. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that, that is a possibility. Lucky enough, our, our weather wasn't as bad as the previous year. So we didn't get any major levels of snow or anything to affect our course, which on, when you get out there, you're kind of a little bit relieved. But then looking back, you know, there's years where there's been really heavy snowfall and you kind of wanted that there just for the, for the factor of that's what we were going there for. The weather was still cold, but um, we, never, we never were in a position where um, visibility was poor enough to... Um, to damage us um, uh, in the race. But um, what, what did happen on one of the subsequent nights was, when I'm talking about that, um, that temperature change that happened on the day we were supposed to race, we went for a meal one night. We were able to walk safely across the grass. Um, so I say a meal one night, it sounds like a, a massive city. We went down to the airport for our dinner, uh, the small airport, which only holds like about a couple of inns. And um, we, when we left the airport in our restaurant, and the whole surface of the ground in one hour had got uh, totally um, frosted. So we all, had, we, all, we all couldn't walk at all. And we had to get in these mini, mini bus transport vans. And uh, with these transport vans, I remember we were in one and there's one ahead of us. And essentially these vans are like two, two porter cabins, two, no, two like long like builder cabins put on top of a truck. They're big square objects. And I could see the one directly in front of me. And all of a sudden, we see the one in front there. And it's, it's pitch black here because there's no lights anywhere. We see the first one do this here a turn. And we kind of look at him, geez, that driver there has took a, took a bit of a handbrake turn. So we're looking again and thinking, like, what's, what's going on up ahead? And all of a sudden, it does the same thing. But this time, it looks a bit funny. We've realized we've actually now decided to take our twists. So because it's pitch black, we took a twist. We ended up banging into something, which we find it later, was the, 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 the barricade of a bridge, which had uh, water underneath it. And um, the truck went like this slightly, and all of a sudden, they were there going, like, like in the end, if you're outside, you would realize we were never in any danger. But it's pitch black, and we, we have no idea. And we know there's a bridge around the summer. The next thing you realize, the river is only maybe like five or ten feet deep. But, you know, if that bus went into the river of five or ten feet deep, you know, anything could have happened. But, um, yeah, so the, the conditions in Greenland are uh, they're not forgiving. But lucky enough in the race, it didn't, um, it didn't get to anything of any major danger level. Good. Well, that's obviously good to hear. So I suppose the big question then is, you know, when are you going back for, for round two? <laughs> Do you know what? I'd, 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 I'd love to go back. Um, lucky enough, uh, I, I raised this for, um, to get to this event, I got sponsorship from Flyfit. They covered some money. The Great Outdoors covered some of the cost of equipment. And then I had a, a, a night where a load of friends doesn't ship it, they had to get there. So because it, it, was, it was an expensive event uh, to go to. Um, at first, I only wanted to go out there for the race. Um, but I didn't realize, being out there for five days, I roomed with a guy from Argentina called Sergio Franco. And even though it was a race, two races I did, the whole experience of traveling deep into a part of Greenland with maybe like 150, 200 people who are all doing the same event. It's something I can't, um, I, I can't, I, I can't, rec I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't recommend it enough because 
I didn't think like any. I, I didn't want to really be hanging around people, or I thought you know I was going to be. Um, it wasn't going to be a great crack, but it was just unbelievable. You're 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 talking to these these two Portuguese lads who after the first race, so at the second race, so after we finished the morning of the next race, they went out and they um, they ran in their uh, their boxers around in the ice in the snow, and the conditions got worse because they had said they were going to do that. Uh, the same Brazilian guy is a vet who lives in Dubai, but he wanted to pretend to his kids in school that he was going to meet Santa and, a, and an elf. So because me being Irish and looking like I'm a Lord of Rings <laughs> person, he asked me to go in a little video. So we went to the post office in a little town of Kangaroo-Lusak, and I had to open the door. And we scripted it one take, and we pretended with my little hat and my little green top that I was going to be uh, a Santa Claus elf in uh, in Greenland. Yeah, I'm going off an awful tangent in this story here, so I don't know. I, people are probably thinking, "What?" If people turn into this podcast, I apologise for not focusing solely on the beauty of running. But you know, sometimes we experience weird shit when we run. But you know, I think even more than that, it kind of it shows the community that is the you know that is running. You know, and 100. You know, it's it, there's, there's mad people everywhere, but at the same time, as that that closeness as well and camaraderie and you know it just goes to show it doesn't matter if you're in Dublin or Greenland like that that exists everywhere um, and I think and, and more importantly as well unless we forget you know um, you, you raised over 3,000 euro for Simon Community as well by, by doing that run a, a phenomenal achievement um, you know and, and look massive congratulations for that um, I suppose look, maybe looking ahead now and, and maybe it's, it's difficult I mean having done that what's the, the next big challenge for you then or the next, the next big event well, I had signed up for a rake of big events yeah. um, in the next, well, in the previous period. Uh, I was going to do the Connemara uh, 63k race that was cancelled. Yeah. I'd signed up for the Dingle Marathon, which is a hilly one that was cancelled. I had had a group organised of fourteen people, and we were going to go to Oslo in May to do the Eco Trail 80k race, uh, and unfortunately, that was cancelled. So right now, I have decided I'm not going to apply to anything until we start to feel um, that uh, applying for races is, is okay again. So at the moment, yeah, I'm just waiting for someone to put a fixture list up and say, look, this is, um, this is what we can do. But I'd like to go for a race uh, over 50 kilometers. So maybe go to 80, maybe go to 100K. And um, obviously further than that, but there's no point thinking about that until I get past the next milestone. Yeah, and look, I think that's that's reasonable, and I suppose we've all we've all kind of suffered, I suppose, the you know the the, the crushing blow of, of having races can, races cancelled on the back back of Corona. And obviously, as anyone who listens to the podcast will know, you know this kind of kicked off um, with the four of us intending to go and run Madrid, which was sadly one of the first ones cancelled. So, uh, fingers crossed, we'll get to get to take that on in the future. Um, I suppose, you know, you kind of mentioned that the next step for you is maybe looking at ultramarathon or something like that. So so what's the kind of motivation for, for running endurance or, or long-distance events then? Uh, good question. I mean, there's, like, I've, I've always been competitive. I was I was decent at the 800 and 1500 metres when I was younger. And then I got a few injuries and I went to 5K and 10K. And I suppose I'm trying to gravitate to maybe at an event or something where I feel I could do a little bit better in. I think at the moment, ultra running is getting a bit more popular in Ireland. So maybe I think that if I can get better and more experience in running longer, I could feature a little bit better. But again, you know, I'm never going to be uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the top guys. But it's nice to be able to, be able to get in events where you can kind of mix a certain part of the race to a certain point. 
Mm-hmm. But ignoring that, the next goal is just to actually try to knock in sometimes over longer distances. I tried the 80k rate, 80k rate once, but I failed to finish, so that was a bit frustrating. So I want to do that again. But I just want to now actually run as many races in new countries that I possibly can. And um, yeah, so the, the, the motivation is just, is just to run and now with running, explore more things when I run. Brilliant, yeah. And look again, you know, I suppose that's kind of the beauty of running in that, you know, it is such a personal event. It doesn't really matter that, I suppose, you're not going to be one of the top three, ten in the world. You know, it's about, I suppose, being able to tailor the, the events to whatever your goals are, you know, and uh, and making that part of, you know, a part of whatever it is you want to do. I suppose, you know, maybe kind of on a tangent to that, we were kind of discussing before we, we started recording um, about how many more people have taken up running um, I suppose in response to you know the COVID nineteen pandemic and obviously you know team sports and everything else in between being closed or, or, or postponed, um, I suppose what we've seen is you know obviously with with the any given run the run club is that there's a wealth of people who are kind of putting on their running shoes for the first time. For those people, I mean, who are starting their journey, what advice would you give them? Uh, take it easy at first. Um, the issue is that we have a host of people who have been, I suppose very experienced with their training programs in what they're doing in the gym. So if I was someone who hasn't been a regular runner, but I'm a regular gym goer, and now I have no access to the gym, the chances are, if I'm going to begin running now, I'm going to increase my volume of running, which might have been maybe one 30-minute run a week or one spin class a week now to maybe three or four runs a week. You're now increasing your volume from one to four times. Hmm. So for anyone who doesn't have experience in running, you almost want to look at how your beginner journey was for when you begin weights. So most of the begin weights might start off doing total body training, you might train one to two times a week. You always want to try to structure your running plan around the same thing. Now there's much more detailed ways to look at this 5k and 10k plans. But the first goal would be for a beginner runner is get out, run three times 30 minutes a week, see how you get on. When you get on a little bit further, call up the friend that you know who regularly runs 5Ks. You don't need to talk to a coach. You don't need to talk to an experienced professional. Just talk to someone who runs a lot and ask them, look, this is what I've did. What advice would you give me to add that third session in or how can I progress to what I'm doing? Because in the end, if I have seen a lot of people who have started running, I have a lot of guys in the gym that I uh, work in who would always even argue me saying, oh, you run all the time, running's bad for your knees, you wouldn't catch me running. Nearly everyone I know who's having to argue with me, they've all run out for runs. Although there is one physio who actually works in the gym that I'm in, and um, I've seen him going out uh, practice sprints recently, and he actually pulled his hamstring muscle in his sprints. So it's uh, a sign that sometimes we need to take it um, a little bit easy when we start off um, when we start, uh, when we were, when we're starting out, and um, when we're not, when running isn't the main part of our training diary. Yeah, and look, it's uh, I suppose there's a little bit of irony in that, isn't it? The physio pulling a muscle, but uh, but yeah, no, well, look, look, it, 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 <laughs> it happens, and not just because I mean, look, I I I run, I do strength training, and um, I I had um, a period of the the period between the last three to two years where uh, my Achilles has been at me, so you know. Um, I can, uh, even though you have the best intentions of your rehab and your physio work, we still can get injuries, even the, the most, um, the, the most experienced of us. So, um, it, uh, yeah, it can happen. There you go. It does. Um, well, obviously we put it out to, out to our Instagram and Facebook pages during the week that we'd be speaking and, uh, and, and 
you know, asked them for any questions they'd like answered. One question that we got in, in, in droves was, uh, in terms of pre-race nutrition for the marathon, what works for you? So the pre-race nutrition, everyone always asks this question, actually pre-race nutrition for race, for training, and then you've got to figure out what works for you. Yeah, that, that's, that's the main thing, you know. And if you are getting up to the marathon distance, you should be using your uh, three or four or five key long runs before your marathon to test out where it works for you. There's no way on the day you want to go out and actually try something new. You don't want to decide, okay, before the race, I'm going to get, get a fulfiller bar, which I've never eaten before the, um, before the event. So usually before a long run on the weekend, my go-to source will always be half a banana and half a cup of coffee. Why it's a half, I don't know. I've just ended up gravitating towards that there because it's worked for me. However, if my run is going to go past the 90-minute period, I'm probably going to bring a gel with me because I know once I go past 90 minutes, I generally get a little bit groggy and my body decides that, you know what, I start thinking to myself, you know what, I'm going to change this run from 16 miles to 14. I'm going to go from 10 to 12, from 12 to 10. I'm going to start making justifications. So I know I need to feed myself at that point. Um, Yes, yeah, so you, you, you try different things. Uh, and on occasion, if I'm feeling a little bit hungrier, I might get a toasted bagel because that's a bit tasty. It's nice to have something in the morning. Nice to have something a bit more for my stomach to um, to work. But um, in the end, yeah, that's that's my uh, my 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 pre-race uh, nutrition. It's not uh, it's not technical. It's not fancy, but um, it works. And uh, and yeah. Brilliant. That's great. Um, and look, I think, you know, on that note, we'll, we'll bring this week's episode to a close. Uh, Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this evening. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to entice you to just come back for another chat in the future. Uh, yeah, no worries. Maybe even take part in, uh, in one of the, uh, the Run Club events down the road. Um, for anyone who'd like to follow you or get in touch, where can they find you? Uh, I'm a personal trainer in FlyFit. You can find me on the FlyFit website. Also, you can find me on... Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter under the name Fitness Goose. So that's pretty easy to spell, Fitness and Goose. So you'll find me there waffling on about running and other stuff. Perfect. That's great. And look, we'll link Andrew's uh, social media accounts in the show notes and on our, our own Facebook page as well. Uh, that's all for this week. Thanks once again to Andrew and to everyone continuing to download and listen to the podcast. We really appreciate all of your support. Be sure to follow Any Given Monday on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's all for this week. Until next time, take care.